So for the first three segments, uh, we're going to be talking about helping children cope with anxiety from COVID-19. And my guest is going to be pediatric psychiatrist, Dr. Sabrina Stutz. Uh, The second segment is going to be sort of uh, what kind of symptoms do children have? How are they impacted by COVID? And I have some of our own information, and uh, a good friend of mine, Dr. Cody Meissner, is going to be the guest for that segment. And the third segment before open phones, uh, voicemails, and emails will be uh, COVID-19 safety and travel and we'll get answers from the NYU travel medicine expert, Dr. Teresa Fiorito. So, without much ado, we're going to focus on our first guest, which is Dr. Sabrina Stutz, clinical psychologist that sees children and teens at Children's Hospital of Orange County. Actually, I've been to the Children's Hospital of Orange County, affectionately known as Chuck. And um, and so, welcome, Dr. Stutz. Thank you. I'm I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and so this is actually, I mean, everything is important in COVID land, but certainly one of the issues that I know that many parents ask me questions about is how to deal with helping children cope with their anxiety about COVID. So. Um, I'm going to turn it over to you to begin the discussion and see if people would like to call in. Our number, if you do want to call in, is one eight seven seven nyu docs That's one eight seven seven six nine eight three six two seven. You know, it. I'm uh, as as you probably know. I'm sitting here alone in the studio. There's no engineer, no producer. So I'm feeling pretty lonely. So feel, please call call in and keep me company. Uh, so uh, back to Doctor Stutz. Great. Um, so you know, coronavirus is something so new to all of us that we don't have experience with, um, and it's new to kids too. Um, and a lot of times, children can express their anxiety in a multitude of ways as we all get used to this new hopefully temporary normal. Um, The first thing that we recommend that parents do is really listen carefully to their kids and learn where they heard their information so that parents can validate their fears by saying something like, it can be frightening when a new illness comes around that we don't necessarily know everything about. Right. yeah, I mean, it's. I think in some ways it's the, it's the kind of general advice we give parents about all children's fears, this being, mm-hmm. you know, worse with some exceptions, right, if they have a grandparent yes. who, or a relative who is very, very sick, that may concern them. Uh, one of the uh, kind of odd side effects of the lockdown is that a number of the families I've spoken to, the kids are in like seventh heaven because they have their parents <laughs> 24-7 playing with them, and uh, that's not their usual experience. So that, uh, you know, that has been probably an amazing side effect that I, I wouldn't have, I didn't think about, actually. 
But, I mean, at least this is for young children. Maybe teenagers, not so much. But certainly for young children, (laughs) they are delighted. I have a five-year-old granddaughter who lives in Germany, actually, with my son and his wife. And they're both uh, they're both professors there, but they are working from home, and so they're spending every day with her. And I Skype pretty much every day with them, and she's just like you know happy go lucky and really like having the best fun of her life. So it's it's interesting that uh, that tells you uh, that the important thing is for the parents to not be frightened, and actually probably. And I'm going to turn back to you to. Think about um, making sure that you don't talk in front of a child, especially a young child, in apocalyptic terms, because uh, yeah. they're going to hear this, and it, you know, if they see that their parents are okay about it, that's actually probably the most assuring thing for them. But if they think their parents are frightened, that is very frightening to them. That's absolutely right. Kids pay so much attention to how parents are managing a situation in order to help inform them about how they should be responding to a situation. And so um, trying to avoid having adult-level conversations about COVID-19 around children, and if they do have questions, answering with brief, developmentally appropriate explanations. So you really hit the nail on the head there. How a five-year-old is going to respond and understand this is going to be very different than the fears or concerns that a teenager might have. Um, and, And I think it can also be helpful in those times to remind kids and adolescents that there are people like doctors and other experts around the world who are working really hard to try to stop this so that they understand that really smart, capable people are out there taking action. Um, But you also mentioned parents having and modeling good positive behavior, and we can start to model that by showing our own good coping skills that can help reassure kids that they're safe. So we need to be getting uh, enough sleep, and we need to be eating healthfully uh, in order to model those self-care behaviors for our kids. Yeah, and I I think you made, uh, uh, sometime in, in this discussion, you made a really important point about explaining things to children, especially young children, which is don't over-explain. Respond to their specific question. I think that's what you said. In other words, if they ask about something, answer that question. Don't go on in a long explanation because you think that they may be interested in that because that is probably too much information for them. And that's okay to give them only the information they're asking for because as they think about it more, they'll ask you another question. That's right. uh, And so I think that allows them to absorb the answer to the first question, which should be pretty simple but also concrete, you know, getting at what they're actually asking you about uh, Mm -hmm. versus, uh, you know, going into, you know, a long explanation of like what coronavirus is when in fact they didn't ask you that question. That's right. 
And if they do have questions about some of those higher level concerns and you're not certain because things are changing or because it's not something that you're aware of, there are some wonderful resources out there that show infographics or child-friendly cartoons to explain some of these things. NPR came out with one. The National Child Traumatic Stress Network has some other resources. So it's perfectly okay to say, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to find out and get back to you and go look for one of those resources that has already put things into developmentally appropriate Uh, terms. Yeah, and I do know that the American Academy of Pediatrics also has information on its healthychildren.org website. So that you're absolutely right. There are a lot of resources for parents to go to. Um, I'm going to give our number out one more time. I think actually, you know, people are not driving in their cars to work, so uh, I'm not sure how many people are just sitting here listening, but rather not wanting to, to call in. But if you do want to call in and ask um, Dr. Stutz some uh, important questions, feel free to do so. Our number is one eight seven seven nyu docs That's one eight seven seven six nine eight three six two seven. 6928 I think the other issue, I think, to be honest, is sort of going stir-crazy, both for mm-hmm. parents and children and so I do think it's important for uh, somebody, even though many parents are actually working from home, they're not just sitting around doing nothing, but nevertheless to uh, fill the child's day with a variety of things. You know, kids who are in school are getting a lot of assignments from school that they're supposed to be working on. Parents should supervise that, help them, uh, you know, focus on that uh, you know, I take care of a lot of kids with ADHD, and this is not a good environment for a kid with ADHD. Right. Because, because uh, actually school provides, a, a, you know, a real structure for the child. They can't, like, just lie on the couch and do nothing. They have to really sit in their chair, focus on their work. Teachers will be assisting them or reminding them. So in some ways, parents need to uh, have that role as well uh, and also – recognize that uh, the freedom of being at home does disorient uh, children, not disorient them, but, um, you know, uh, make it a little more difficult for them to focus on their assignments if they're school-aged children. I I just had um, uh, a conversation with a parent uh, uh, whose child I'm following just yesterday exactly about that. We do have somebody calling in. This is Nabil from New Jersey. Hi, Nabil. How are you? How's it going? Good. How's it going? So uh, I'm here alone, totally protected from the rest of the world at the moment (laughs) in the studio. Uh, So uh, how are you doing? Well, I'm managing. But like I said, uh, the question I have is uh, so I'm I'm in the healthcare field. I work out in NYU in Brooklyn, right. and uh, my my wife is a stay-at-home wife. She takes care of my five kids, and she does a great job. But usually, when I do come home pre-pandemic, uh, I'm very hands-on with the kids. Uh, we love to play together. You know, I have kids ranging from ages of four to nineteen, so we're always playing basketball when the weather is good, and 
we're interacting with, uh, especially with the young ones, uh, with the ABCs and one, two, threes. Uh, but now I find myself, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll call home before, like when I'm about five minutes away for my wife to clear the, clear the hallway so I could go right from the garage upstairs to my room, shower, and then I stay there until I feel confident enough to just kind of stick my head out the, win- out the door and just say hello to everyone. Right. So, you know, there is no... So, I uh, thank you for this. This is a great question, by the way. Um, and so, uh, thank you for uh, asking this. I imagine this is affecting many, many parents. And I'd, uh, there is no official line about what you should do about your kids, to be honest. And each family does what they are most comfortable doing. Uh, so, um, I understand you're in healthcare, so you feel you're... Uh, can I ask you what job you have in the healthcare system? You don't have to tell uh, me, but I'm a 911 paramedic. I see. So you're picking up sick patients all the time. Correct. So I, uh, so I mean, I share your concern about being high risk. Um, you might do a couple of different things. Uh, so, so what are you doing first? Before I give you advice, I should find out what you're doing. <laughs> I, I, you're going upstairs. You're Get you taking your clothes off. Your whatever you're doing with your clothes, you're taking a shower. Yeah. So you're as clean as you could possibly get. And and right. then what happens? And then I uh, I place a mask on. Right. And then uh, I go down and I try to keep about six feet apart from them, and I just uh, interact with them in that fashion. Uh, we we watch shows together. Uh, we're not we're not doing that thing where I pick them up and throw them in the air no more, and right. I'm just worried about, you know. I can imagine. How do they? How do your kids react to this? Oh, they're 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 confused. First of all, about the masks, they they don't understand that. Uh, right. And 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 you know, when my four year old says the word coronavirus and COVID nineteen so perfectly, and he understands. What's going on? And I, I heard you before mentioning about the fear factor, about the, uh, the grown-ups in the house uh, talking about it. Right. And me and my wife have made it a point not to talk about, especially what the news reports about, uh, you know, the tragedy that might, that might happen in the near future. Right. But we keep that to ourselves, and if we do talk about it, it's over the phone. Yeah, so um, there is... Um, I'm going to say a couple of different things. So I'm just trying to get my thoughts together about the infection control aspects of what you're doing. What you're doing seems like a reasonable thing. Uh, uh, You are wearing a mask. So that alone is a great protection because as far as we know, uh, most transmission transmission comes from droplets. You're not producing many droplets anyway because you're not sneezing and coughing. I... I presume, right? Uh, but you, you know, we all produce some droplets when we speak. If you've ever seen a, a movie or a, you know, a, a video of an opera or a Broadway show, you can see like the spray coming out of the mouth of those actors and singers. So we all do produce some droplets when we speak. I'm probably doing that now. However, there's nobody here to, you know, get them. Uh, you're also not symptomatic. Uh, so those are – so putting a mask on really is protecting your kids uh, very nicely. 
uh, unless you are getting symptomatic, you know, you're 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 high risk only into into catching COVID, but you're not high risk in bringing COVID germs home from the people you care for. Because what you're doing is you're taking off all your clothes, you're going into a shower, scrubbing yourself down. So the any COVID-19 particles on you would be gone. So you're, you're doing a great job there. And then by putting on a mask, you're actually preventing, if you were asymptomatic, um, you're preventing any spread that might come that way. So I, I don't know if it actually makes sense in this case to maintain a six – I'm not telling you what to do, by the way, because I know everybody wants to be extra careful. But I don't know that actually it makes sense that you can't – you have to keep a six-foot uh, barrier between t- you and your kids since you have already washed yourself down and you're wearing a mask, which is a barrier uh, from any, uh, you know – uh, airborne particles that you may be putting out. That doesn't mean you should be hugging and kissing them in case you're asymptomatic. And I know that's hard with little kids especially. But you could be a little closer. Uh, like, for example, in playing a game, uh, since you've washed your hands, there's nothing on your hands that's going to be spread to them. And, you know, bring a Purell, a bottle of Purell, and just keep on washing your hands. But you're not producing covid viral particles once you wash yourself. Uh, So you might loosen the distance a little and maybe interact around a game on a table or something like that where you're you're a little closer if you think that would help your your children psychologically. What do you think? Sounds good to me. I'm going to let the wife know because she made an executive decision that I must maintain six feet from the kids. No, I know, I know. Listen, and I'm not blaming her. You know, we're all trying to uh, protect our kids. Uh, The other good news, this is not, uh, you know, the other good news is that all of your kids are in the best age group to be in, that uh, there are very, very, there, there are a couple of kids around the world that have gotten very sick. But the vast, vast majority of kids in the 4 to 14-year-old age group, right? You said your oldest was 14? The oldest is 19. The 19. Youngest. Well, okay. The 19 is probably the one that you should stay away from the most, which and he may be okay about that. I don't know about how your different age kids are reacting to you. Teenagers often are fine about being in their room and not uh, interacting as much. Um, but certainly for the younger kids, the 19, um, they're, they're the risk, even if they would get COVID, which they're unlikely to get from you in the way you're handling yourself, uh, is, is very minimal. Most of these kids get either no symptoms or very minor symptoms. Uh, I've only seen uh, I work at Bellevue and I'm in charge of the service at Bellevue and I've I've only seen one teenager, a 17 year old get serious disease and she's on the mend but uh, so I I think probably when you get into the later teenage years you're more like a young adult and there are some young adults who get sick 
Thank you. I hope this has been helpful. And yes, if you if you if you if your wife wants to call in and ask, tell her she she still can you know uh, come in and complain to me about uh, my suggestions of loosening up uh, the controls. So thank you very much. And sounds like you have a wonderful family. And uh, thanks for sharing with us. Thank you very much. Okay. So back to psychological problems. What did, what did you what did you think about um, that conversation? He was obviously very interested in infection control, which I felt I needed to uh, connect with. But did you have any? Do you have any thoughts about it? it's interesting family because he has kids of so many different ages. That's right. And and um, and I thank him so much for doing the work that he does do for us, because it's a it's a frightening time to be in that role. Um, But I think the other thing that I that I heard him say was, how how do I connect with my kids in a different way than I'm used to? And so in the event that um, in the event that any family decides that it's in their best interest to be including more distance and having a hard time explaining that to kids, I think that it's important for us to start to try to get creative about how do we spend some of that special time with our kids of varying age groups and for I think your suggestion about playing a game at the table maintaining some distance but also still being able to interact is a great one there are also some nice online games and apps that parents can play with their children if they do want to be a little bit more separated or finding different ways to connect but maintain that same special time uh, focused on their kids so that everyone is getting the attention they need and we're maintaining that same schedule and routine that you um, so accurately mentioned is so important for kids to feel a sense of security. Yeah, and we didn't even get into a parent that might actually be COVID positive. And That's actually right. on real quarantine, which I've I've spoken to some of those parents. I mean, none of them have mm-hmm. been, thankfully, none of those parents have been sick, but they are certainly on quarantine. And so mm-hmm. they may be in a room that people just put some food outside the room and they, they don't, they go to the bathroom, et cetera, but they, they're not, otherwise, it's beyond just six feet. It's really, uh, you know, quarantining themselves from the rest of the family. Uh, so um, I think uh, you know using Skype or Zoom, mm-hmm. you can uh, you can actually have conversations and kind of you know, get a sense of sharing time together. Even uh, even if even in the same house, you can Skype with each other or Zoom with each other when you're on, when you're truly on quarantine, which is not was not the case with our caller, but you know maybe the case. I I actually know a physician at Bellevue who who you know on the front line who became COVID positive and basically was quarantined uh, in his apartment uh, from the rest of his family. So uh, I think in that case you can really use some electronic connectors you know, like Skype or Zoom that really can make the connection always. And Absolutely. actually, you know, and I, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. 
I think there are also some great things coming out about ways to even watch a show or a movie at the same time as someone else in the household or at the same time as, as someone else. And so that can be helpful, both in the sense of whether a parent is quarantined in the in the actual environment, but also encouraging kids to connect with extended family that they haven't seen in a while or friends right. um, in a way that's a little bit less activity heavy um, and more relaxed. So, uh, you know, I'm over 70 uh, and have some, <laughs> I have some chronic health problems, nothing that's going to kill me at the moment, I think. But uh, so my, my kids are very concerned about me, especially since I go to work every day at Bellevue. Although I, I'm not taking care of patients, I'm still in a, in a high-risk environment. So they like to have some contact with me every day. And so basically we do – I for, for my son in Germany where, I, you know, I can't travel – uh, we Skype every day and uh, usually around their meal time, and so I, I have this feeling as a as a grandparent that I'm really almost at the table with them uh, while they're eating and seeing you know my granddaughter, my son, my daughter-in-law, and really uh, it makes it uh, you know helpful to me and uh, to uh, feel connected. Since I usually tra- travel to Germany, you know, every month or two, but not going to be able to do that for a while. So this really makes a difference. And I think in the United States, you don't you don't have to have kids in Germany. You could have kids, you know, in the next borough and not be wanting right. to travel. So or the next block even. So uh, I think uh, you're absolutely right. Using electronic. Uh, Ways of connecting people is so key to keep e- keeping people from being lonely or iso- not so much lonely, but isolated or missing that human connection, which as humans, of course, we all need so much. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm going to give our number out one more time uh, and then uh, see if there are things – we want to conclude this uh, segment with uh, before I go on break. So our number is one eight seven seven NYU Docs. That's one eight seven seven six nine eight three six two seven. Please call in, uh, you know, to keep me from being lonely. And also, I think from if you've heard the previous conversation with our caller, these are really interesting questions that really apply to so many people. Uh, that it's a real useful thing uh, to call in and bring up your personal issues because you're going to be helping so many people who are listening to this conversation. Um, what happens, so uh, uh, what happens, uh, Dr. Stutz, if a child has a real uh, anxiety disorder or anxiety reaction? to what's going on. We haven't really talked about that. We've talked about sort of normative concerns, et cetera. Uh, but there right. might be children, I actually I know adults who, who mm-hmm. have anxiety, not disorders, but underlying general anxiety that this is making them very, very anxious. So I, and I know I'm sure that's the same for kids. Absolutely. 
you know, anyone who uh, who has already had some anxiety in their life prior to this occurring is unfortunately uh, has the potential to have that anxiety creep back up on them or increase in some way. But even people who've never had any challenges with anxiety or mental health prior to this pandemic can be experiencing some of that. And I think some of the ways that parents can watch out for that is looking for the obvious, those um, those assurance-seeking questions, uh, frequent hand-washing, uh, excessive concern over germs. And, right. and I, I encourage parents to watch out for behavior differences in their children, too. So uh, changes in their sleep that aren't just due to scheduling changes, changes in appetite, changes in interest in interacting even electronically with friends or uh, or things like that can be signs that potentially more help is needed and in those cases i would definitely recommend trying some home-based stress reduction techniques like deep breathing distraction or guided imagery and if those really aren't helping or scheduling those into the day aren't helping i definitely encourage families to reach out to their primary care provider or there are a lot of great telemental health services being offered around the country right now to help in in this brief time yes um uh we didn't mention telemedicine but of course so many of us have uh, not switched, but it certainly are are providing so much care by telemedicine. So it, this has actually interestingly been sort of a crash course in uh, right. switching to telemedicine, which many of us have done a little, but have not really done a lot of. And suddenly, bang, we're doing most of what we're interacting with patients regarding telemedicine. So you're absolutely right. There's a lot of opportunity to get advice on telemedicine from social workers, psychiatrists, psychologists, and of course their primary care provider is the first step. So uh, thank you for bringing that up. And also, thank you for being uh, my guest on this really important topic, on this really important moment in our country's uh, journey through this pandemic and crisis. Uh, thank you very of course, much. It's been a pleasure being here. Thank yeah. you.